Hello, my name is Kip Harry, Conference Director at Cambridge HealthTech Institute, and today we have a special podcast for the upcoming Clinical Genomics and Informatics Europe Conference, this December 3 to 6 in beautiful Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, this event covers a nice mix of sequencing and informatics topics, and it's comprised of uh, six meetings. On the clinical side, we have clinical epigenetics, clinical exome sequencing, RNA sequencing, and on the informatics side, we have digital detection, high-skill computing, and genome informatics. Today, we'll be talking about the clinical exome sequencing meeting in particular, which uh, runs December 4 to 5. Just to give you a bit more context, uh, the sequencing of uh, the complete coding region, or the exome, is becoming more clinically relevant in, in diagnostics. And at this meeting, this will be compared and contrasted with whole genome sequencing and also targeted next-generation sequencing. So today I have a speaker um, on that program, uh, Golson Lyon. He's a, an assistant professor in human genetics at Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory and also a research scientist at Utah Foundation for Biomedical Research in the U.S. Uh, he has a talk entitled uh, Increasing Accuracy for Exome and Whole Genome Sequencing, and we are very fortunate to have him with us today. Golson, are you there? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. How are you today? Doing well. Thank you. Okay, so let's get into some of this uh, exome sequencing. And, you know, can you describe to me what the potential for these newer sequencing technologies uh, have uh, on clinical diagnostics? Yes, in the past, uh, genetics was much more focused on uh, single genes, and people tended to focus on this word Mendelian. And now with exome sequencing and genome sequencing, people are realizing actually that genetics is way, way more complex than, than anyone really had previously thought. And so every Mendelian disease is actually complex. And so um, I'm actually very interested in having the word Mendelian be purged from the lexicon in terms of getting rid of this simple-minded thinking that gene X equals phenotype Y, because that's just simply simply not true. And so with exome sequencing, you're basically looking at most or all of the exons in the human genome, depending on how one annotates them. And with whole genome sequencing, you're trying to sequence all 6 billion nucleotides, at least from uh, usually blood DNA. And so one ends up discovering lots and lots of mutations and variants that can play a modifying role on even mutations that have relatively high expression. And so, for example, cystic fibrosis is a classic disease which has, in some people, a mutation, uh, including the Delta F508 allele, but the actual expression of that phenotype is really all over the map. And that has to do with other genetic mutations that are currently undiscovered, which might get discovered by exome and whole genome sequencing, and it also has to do with how the environment interacts with the genome. So the potential for these technologies to change clinical diagnosis is that you're actually now going to be looking at the entire, at least at the moment, the entire exome, but in the future, as costs come down, looking at the entire genome, and that sort of more unbiased approach will really get at the true complexity of pretty much any genetic condition. So I want to pick up on one thing you mentioned. You're saying currently we're at an exome level in terms of um, mass usage, but you know, eventually whole genome sequencing will become more cost-effective. Now, talk to me about how that would 
changed the the paradigm into uh, a broader look at the genome and and sort of compare and contrast sort of maybe the informatics side of how that that scales as well. Well, I mean, it, you know, for for many years, people have focused on protein coding uh, regions of the genome, and that's partly just due to the central dogma that is now quickly um, being gotten rid of. But the the central dogma for a long time was that DNA makes RNA makes protein, but but in fact, there are many portions of the genome that make only RNA, and those RNA molecules actually do things, and that's called the non-coding region of the genome. And the most recent annotation had you know, 23,000 RNA elements that were non-coding, and there are also about 20,000 protein-coding regions of the genome. And so, in fact, there's this huge section of the genome that has nothing to do with proteins, and we're only just beginning to understand that. And so currently, exomes, by definition, are capturing the exons, which are involved in being spliced to form basically protein-coding mRNAs. So right now, exomes are really only looking at the protein-coding region of the genome. And so when whole genomes uh, come on board, we're going to be able to look at all sorts of things that just haven't been looked at before. Okay. Okay, so so uh, we get exome sequence, sort of a portion of of the genome, the coding por- uh, protein coding portion. But what does that mean in the clinical context? Can you explain it a bit more um, from research grade to clinical grade? Does that change? Well, I mean, clinical grade uh, is this is it's somewhat of an artificial distinction because some research labs do incredibly good work, and it's just as good as any as anything that would be done in a clinical lab. But at least in America. You know, there are certain rules that that apply toward doing sequencing on a human being that leads to those results being in, integrated into the medical record. And that, that just has to do with adequate sample tracking and adequate documentation that you're doing the same thing each and every time. So, for example, if you get a hematocrit at your local ER, your local emergency room, or local doctor's office, usually the the samples are tracked quite carefully, and the labs are done the same way each and every time, and so that there's just very good, robust analysis and robust reporting of that data. And so clinical-grade sequencing just means keeping track of the samples and making sure that you're doing the variant calling in, in the same way each and every time. And the only reason that that's incredibly important is that when you scale this up to hopefully millions of people, it will be very important to make sure that you're doing everything the same and doing it in a very reproducible manner. So we always like to try to draw out maybe some challenges um, with current technology. So what are the key issues or challenges right now with um, exome sequencing and the um, clinical implementation part? Well, I mean, the cost is still um, somewhat high and that the cost factor is something that there's many reasons why it still is high, including the sequencing costs that still need to come down, as well as the labor that goes into it. And so currently, the you know some people are charging as much as you know five thousand dollars for a clinical grade exome, and the variability though of that cost is anywhere from a couple of thousand. You know, in a research setting, it might only be $1,000, but in a clinical setting, these prices are increased for a lot of different reasons. So right now, you're looking at, you know, this cost that's perhaps more than many uh, payers are willing to pay. And then another challenge is that when you sequence somebody's exome, you get back, 
know, thousands of potential variants, and all of those have to be kept track of. And there's, you know, controversy in terms of which variants you should be giving back to people and which ones should be integrated into the medical record. And some people, you know, believe that all the raw data should be given back to the actual people from which they were derived. And and then other more paternalistic people sort of believe that raw clinical data and raw uh, genomic data should just not be given back to people. And so, so there's a lot of there's sociocultural challenges to the implementation of genomic medicine in any kind of large context. Okay. Let's talk about the future. So you've already sort of alluded to whole genome uh, um, sequencing being sort of a, a replacement to exome sequencing, but let's talk about sequencing in general. Where, where do you think we will be in about five years? Will it just be all whole genome sequencing? Will there be like a mix of whole genome, exome? How do you think people will, will use these technologies? That's a big uh, question, and it partly is going to depend on a lot of the capitalistic concerns. You know, right now there's basically only a couple of players in the sequencing industry. There's Illumina, which is the dominant sequencing company. There was Complete Genomics, which was recently purchased by an institute based in China called BGI. And then there are, of course, other companies that are developing newer sequencing technologies, including sort of nanopore-based sequencing. But due to the sort of somewhat of a monopoly on the part of Illumina, it's not clear if the cost of sequencing are going to be coming down as much as they have in the past. And this was the first year in which the cost did not come down. And in fact, the cost has slightly risen uh, for a variety of reasons. And so the problem is that it's hard to predict in five years what will happen because it's, it's not clear if the cost will keep coming down or not. If they do come down, uh, then one would hope that there would be much more exome sequencing being done in a clinical setting, not on the order of just hundreds of people, but you know, on the order of thousands to tens of thousands of people. But you know, also due to the global recession that we're in, it's really not clear if various countries, including America, will have payers that will be willing to pay for that. So there's really just an enormous number of issues. So it's really hard for me to predict exactly what will happen in five years. Obviously, I would love to break down some of those barriers and get much more exome sequencing, but I'm somewhat pessimistic about the five-year horizon. I'm much more optimistic that things will be much farther along in 10 to 20 years. Okay, okay. How do you feel about in a, a sequencing um, in, in the U.S. versus Europe? How, how, how do they stack up? Uh, is the adoption of sequencing sort of uh, more or less, or what can you say to that? Um, I think that in Europe there are some countries such as England that have a nationalized health care system, and um, one of the speakers at this upcoming conference in Portugal is Timothy Hubbard, and he'll be talking about the fact that the UK, they're trying to do sequencing on 100,000 people and apparently integrating that into the National Health Service uh, records. And so having um, a country such as certain countries in Europe with a nationalized healthcare system, that allows one to do things on a larger, more global scale in a much more reproducible and integrated manner. 
And so that might bode well for those countries. Uh, in America, unfortunately, we have a very balkanized insurance and healthcare system, and it's not clear if there will or will not be any major initiative involving sequencing thousands to millions of people in a clinical-grade way, including return of the data to their participants or at least integrating the record, the, the, the data into the medical record. So you mentioned Tim Hubbard, which is, um, who is uh, one of our keynote uh, speakers on the program, and we are certainly looking forward to hearing him. But uh, what else or maybe who else are you looking forward to hearing on the program this coming December? Any particular talks? Uh, yeah, there's several talks that I think are going to be really very good. Uh, one is from Hans Hilgers Ropers from Germany, and he'll be talking uh, with the title of New Sequencing Techniques, Why They're Indispensable for Healthcare, and What We Can Do to Speed Up Their Clinical Implementation. And um, Hans Hilgers is a board-certified clinical geneticist working in Berlin, Germany, and I'm particularly looking forward to just hearing his perspective on genetics in Germany and in Europe. So I think he's going to be a really great talk. Uh, there's going to be Han Bruner from the Netherlands who will be talking about exome versus genome sequencing for genetic diseases. And I know that Han Bruner is also a clinician, and I think he will be able to offer a lot of really great insights. You know, there's plenty of other really great speakers. Steve Lincoln is going to be talking from Invitae about changing the clinical genetic testing paradigm, both reducing cost and increasing utility. And I think he has many years of industry experience, and I think he's going to be really fantastic with his insights. Uh, I think Liz Worthy is talking from the Medical College of Wisconsin, and she has done some really pioneering work with Howard Jacob on doing whole genome sequencing in a clinical setting, and I think she's going to be really great. There's plenty of other people that I'm that I just haven't uh, had time to mention, you know, including Sarah Ennis as well as several other people. And then Tim Hubbard is going to be finishing off the conference with a keynote on from genome annotation to genome medicine, and he will be discussing the future efforts in the UK, hopefully, regarding sequencing 100,000 genomes and integrating them into the National Health Service, which is something that I alluded to earlier. Very exciting. And with that, I think we'll wrap up, Golson. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, I certainly look forward to hearing your upcoming presentation at the Clinical Genomics and Informatics Europe Conference this December. For those of you listening, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you at all of our CHI events and uh, particularly this one. Goodbye.